Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Sam Shaw, founder of Walsh and Mastermind. I am back today with another client interview for you guys. And uh, today I'm excited to be on with Bryant, um, who uh, finished his recruiting process for his junior summer internship a few months ago, but uh, we just haven't had a chance to catch up until now. And so uh, I'm excited to get him on here. And uh, Bryant, thank you for uh, taking the time to speak with us. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, uh, you know, to start out, if you don't mind just kind of giving people a little bit of a background on yourself, like um, just tell people who you are, introduce yourself real quick, and then uh, we can dive into kind of how recruiting went for you. Sure. Yeah. So uh, my name is Bryant Strong. I'm a, I'm a, currently a junior at the University of Chicago studying economics and also uh, recently decided to do a double major in political science. So, so there's that. Uh, originally born and raised in Korea, spent time there until middle school. Uh, and, you know, fortunately, my parents decided to send me to the U.S. when I was in middle school. So I've uh, been in the U.S. since then uh, in boarding school and, yeah, came to the University of Chicago and, and uh, got really interested in finance pretty early on, I guess, around the end of high school, actually. And you know, really got started with recruiting around like junior, uh, you know, second year and, you know, eventually got here. So that's just a little quick background on myself, I guess. Got it. Okay, cool. So you're an international student then from Korea, basically. Like Yeah, that is correct. So, uh, you know, I don't have any, I don't have a green card. I'm not a U.S. citizen. Um, you know, I, I have an F1 visa. Got it. Okay. That probably, uh, I'm sure we'll dive into this, but that probably made things a lot tougher from a recruiting standpoint, right? Yeah, I can, I, there's a lot to talk about there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I've also spoken to uh, other Korean students before where, um, especially the guys, like, I mean, because you guys have to serve in the military and stuff, right? Like, I know some guys, they do that in college. So how does that kind of play into everything? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought it up because uh, after... For me, at least, after my first year, I decided to you know, go to the military. It's pretty typical to go after your first year because, you know, if you go right after high school, you're kind of like you never really experienced college. Uh, you kind of want to just get a taste for it before you go. That's what everyone else does. Uh, and so me and a bunch of friends all went to the military at the same time from our school. And I was actually very uh, lucky because I was uh, selected to serve in Lebanon as a UN peacekeeper representing you know the South Korean contingent there hmm. and that was a you know very interesting experience I can talk more about that I guess but yeah that's how I went to the military spent uh 20 months there and came back and joined back as a sophomore did you say 20 months yeah 20 months okay got it so you went there for almost two years after freshman year and then you came back and then you just picked back up right where you left off and just came back as a sophomore and then you just went into recruiting, basically. Yep. Yep. That's how it went on. Okay. Got it. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, and so let's talk about recruiting. So, I mean, you came back from this uh, uh, stint in the, at the UN um, as a peacekeeper, and then you came back, and it's sophomore year. Um, and, like, when did you know that you wanted to pursue banking? Was that something you always knew, or when did you kind of decide to go down this path? Yeah, so around when I was in the military, I really decided that, uh, you know, specific, like I, I was interested in finance before, but it was more like sort of an abstract level. I just like, 
you know, I love reading about the markets. I re- love reading about, you know, Warren Buffett and some, some of these other investors. I think the thought that I should go down the path of investment banking, that really clicked with me around the end of my military career. And you know, I decided, hey, you know, when I go back, I'm a sophomore. And, you know, I've been talking with all, all of my, uh, you know, American friends who already had gone through recruiting. And they were like, yeah, it, it starts around this time. Yeah. So uh, I, I thought, yeah, I should get really try to get prepared for that. So, yeah, that's that's where what my mind was at when I was just stepping into my sophomore year, starting to prepare for recruiting. Got it. Okay. So then you came back, and then like sophomore, sophomore year, first semester, what did you do then? Did you just kind of hit the ground running and start like networking and start studying for the interviews, or what did you do? Yeah, I guess. Uh, I, I did have a preconception of what I what I needed to do. I was, um, you know, taking uh, class wise. I was just taking regular uh, classes, a mix of you know, core classes, but also we have a selection of Chicago booth classes available. So I was taking some. I was taking accounting, uh, which is definitely useful. And but uh, also, yeah, I had I I already knew in the back of my head that I, I needed to do networking this thing called networking that you have to do in order to get this job um and yeah i i would just i was deciding to go on a uh i decided to go on a trip to new york to meet some of these bankers and beforehand i tried to you know cold email them and like try to talk to them you know looking back i kind of didn't know what i was doing that that well and i think that's also around the time when i uh, started uh, with the wall street mastermind Got it. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think you came to us. Um, I'm looking at our records. It was like back in mid December of sophomore year. So it was like probably around winter break. Like you had just finished your first semester. Right. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, so like, what was the impetus for that? Like what made you want to kind of check out Wall Street Mastermind? Cause you know, obviously not everyone um, uses Wall Street Mastermind to help them recruit. So like, what made you want to check us out? Right. So I guess I, even though, even if I knew what I sort of had to do or needed to do or whatever, because like there were, there were, there were like some, I, I had some friends who were like fourth years at that point who were going into investment banking. Mm-hmm. You know, they were kind of helping me out. I guess they were just giving me some advice here and there, but uh, I definitely felt that there was a lack of guidance in terms of, you know, what should I do in these specific moments? And I was kind of, I, I felt that I was left out there on my own trying to figure it out. I had some friends who were also recruiting with me, but then, you know, it's not like they know any significantly better than I do because we're kind of in the same position, right? right. So, you know, just we're just like reading through Wall Street Oasis and like, you know, talking to people. And you just come to a point where like, oh, you know, I, I lack resources. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was watching... I don't, I don't, I don't know what it was, but it was on a, I was watching this video and, and there was a YouTube ad of, you know, Wall Street Mastermind and, you know, you're just speaking in there, into there, in the camera with the, uh, with the Wolf of Wall Street poster in the background. <laughs> and yeah, I, I remember it. And, and, and I thought, yeah, I should try this guy out. So I, I, you know, I booked a call with you. Got it. Okay. And that's how you found this. Um, awesome. And so, you mentioned like originally you were kind of getting help from, you know, seniors and stuff you know, like friends that were already, that had already gone through the process. Were these like seniors you met in the finance club at school or like, where did you find these resources? 
Yeah, actually, so I was not involved at all with um, any finance clubs when I was in my first year, right? Mm-hmm. I just had a couple of friends and, uh, you know, it turns out that you know, some of the friends that I just had during that time ended up pursuing finance, like the friends that I had uh, when, I, when I was a first year before joining the military. Mm-hmm. And when I got back, these guys were, you know, obviously they were fourth years because I was gone for two years right. and they had already gone through that process. So they were kind of there to help me out, but obviously they weren't like, you know, super dedicated, you know, they they got classes to go to and um, yeah. So that, that's kind of how it turned out. Got it. Okay. Yeah, no, I asked that because um, I mean, I think what you're describing is a very standard experience that a lot of people go through, right? Which is a lot of times you probably hear about banking, um, probably through your other friends at school, maybe upperclassmen who have gone through it. And then that's kind of the first place that you go go to for help. And um, I think it can be helpful in the, in the very beginning, just to kind of give you like at a high level, the lay of the land and, hey, here are the things you need to do. Like you need a network, right? Or you need to uh, get an internship or this and that. But then in terms of like, actually getting into the specifics of how to do these things. Um, most of the times, I think what people find is that, I mean, their friends aren't obligated. First of all, their friends aren't obligated to help them get jobs. They're not like, uh, they're not your mentors. I mean, they're just your friend. Right. And, and second of all, yeah. they're not going to, they're, they're very busy themselves. And, <laughs> and quite frankly, probably they, they just got, they just went through their own recruiting process. And the last thing they want to do is go through it again. They're trying to put it behind them. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so you're kind of, they'll, they'll give you some pointers here and there, but there's so much that goes into recruiting that uh, a lot of times that's not really enough. Right. It almost feels like kind of a black box, especially. For yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And um, I guess one thing that I would love to add to that is that, you know, it's sometimes not just about, sometimes you know the questions, right? And you just don't have the answers. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what should I do at this kind of situation? What, what should I do at an info session, for example? Or, yeah. or what should I do at a coffee chat? But sometimes you just don't know how to ask the questions in the first place because yeah. you're, you know, you get it. You, for example, like when I was preparing for interviews, like I had constructed my own set of answers you know, you know, and I, I thought it was totally fine, right? It, I, I thought, hey, it's what's wrong with going on for like three minutes or four mm-hmm. minutes on, on tell me about yourself. Right. And then you, you kind of have to have someone to, to step in and say, look, that's not, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the best way to go about it. So right. I think that was really helpful in terms of, you know, if you, if you ask the questions, then uh, these people, like my friends, will give it to them. Yeah. But sometimes you don't even know what kind of questions that you should be asking. Yeah. And you don't want to, you don't really want to, most people don't really want to go to their friend with every single question, right? It's like, yeah, exactly. That too. Every time you have a question, it's like, Hey, by the way, what about this? Okay. Now can you look at this question? Okay. Now can you look at this question? It's like, at some point you're going to have no friends because people are like trying to stay away from you because all you do is, you know, bother them with your questions, right? Which is not what they Exactly. Say. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I, if you, if, yeah. you, if you don't go to friends, then you end up relying on like, you know, online resources, you know, like websites, public websites, stuff like that. Like, as I said, Wall Street Oasis, but that's not like, you know, it's not comprehensive in any way either. Yeah, I, I, I think, look, uh, what I always tell people is, you know, when you're looking for help um, for this kind of, or not just for recruiting, but for anything in general, like if you're looking for um, mentors, uh, and I always, generally, I always think, you know, having mentors is a good idea for 
pretty much anything in life, right? Especially things that are important. I mean, uh, I wrote a post recently, you know, it is the new year now, January, 2021. So I was reflecting on, uh, on my 2020 and, you know, we had a great year. Wall Street Mastermind did really well. We more than doubled our business, but I was reflecting on why I was able to grow so fast in a year when, you know, we had a pandemic and uh, a lot of businesses suffered. And obviously a lot of the, you know, our, our potential clients um, were going through, you know, financial issues, their parents lost their jobs and whatnot. So you would think that it would have been a tough year. And one of the biggest things for me was like, I invested over $50,000 in 2020, just on mentors, you know, like business mentors and different types of mentors. And, you know, they, they've been through a lot of the problems that, that I went through in 2020. And anytime I had a problem, I could just go to them and uh, not feel shy about bothering them or whatever. And I knew that, uh, and I think the more important point is like, it can't just be any mentor, but if you're going to have someone help you with something as important as your business, in my case, or in your case, something as important as your career, um, the two things that I always tell people to look for are one, um, you know, are they qualified to help you, right? Meaning how much more do they really know compared to what you already know, right? Because if someone is just like, if it's just your friend going through the process with you, like you said, they don't really know any more than you do, right? If it's a upperclassman that's gone through the process one time, maybe they're a year above you or two years above you, um, they're a little bit ahead of you, but you know, still pretty small uh, sample size or you know, they're not that much more experienced than you are, right? So that's the first thing. Uh, you want someone who's exactly. ideally as qualified as possible because the more, the more qualified that person is and the more experience that they have, the, the more incremental uh, the, the improvement's going to be on your end, right? And so that's the first thing. But the second thing is um, there are a lot of people that are out there that are obviously qualified to help you, right? Because probably most people that are, you know, working in banking or have worked in banking and have been interviewers on these uh, interview panels, um, they can probably help you out with the recruiting process. But the second thing is like, you know, how invested are they in your outcome, right? Like how, how much are they actually, how much time are they actually going to spend helping you? Because most of the bankers, if they don't know you um, and you ask them for help, they either won't bother or they might have one conversation with you and it might be 30 minutes and they'll give you some high level advice that they give to everybody, but it's not really custom. It's not really customized for your personal situation because they just don't know you that well. Right. And so, yeah, exactly. I think you nailed it there. Yeah. So, so those are the two things that I look for personally, when I look for a mentor is like, how much better is this person than me at what I'm trying to accomplish? And then two, do they have skin in the game? And are they going to, are they going to care if I get this job or not? Uh, in other words, like, you know, they're not going to be annoyed if I have questions all the time. Uh, I can bother them whenever I want. And also like uh, they actually care whether I get the job or not, because if I don't get the job, uh, it actually, you know, is going to negatively affect them in some way. Right. Like that's the difference between, something like Wall Street Mastermind where, hey, if you don't get a job, um, it reflects poorly on, on me and, and, and our, on our business, right? Because then we didn't deliver for our clients. But, you know, for your friends, it's like, if you don't get a job, they'll feel bad for you for about 30 seconds and then they're going to move, move longer, on and keep living, <laughs> keep living their best life, right? Um, yeah, exactly. So that, that I mean, that, that's what I was like, you know, talking about, think about, because like, you know, obviously um, there are much, uh, 
cheaper and even free resources out there compared to Wall Street Mastermind. And people are always like, well, why should we use you? Uh, and those are pretty much the reasons, in my opinion, right? It's just like yeah. the level of help that you're going to get. Um, speaking of that, though, let's talk about what you actually did in Wall Street Mastermind. So like, I don't know what you kind of expected coming in. Um, I think that would be interesting to talk about a little bit. And then what did you actually get out of it now that you're on the other side, having graduated from the program? Like, if you think about those two things, like, was it pretty much what you expected or was it, you know, different? And if so, in what way? Like, can you just kind of talk about that a little bit? Sure. I think, uh, you know, in terms of what I was expecting going into it, I really, I, I guess I really wasn't expecting anything. Uh, I, I, I didn't know what to expect. That's the, that's, you know, the, the, the simple way to put it. Um, I was just expecting, I don't know, maybe I would do a couple calls with you every now and then, like you'd verbally tell me what's going on. And, and I, and I quickly realized that you have this pretty impressive, you know, video module series. And I think at least, you know, 60, 70% of what I truly gained from this, from using Wall Street Mastermind, I think it came from these video modules because, you know, it was it was absolutely phenomenal the kind of things that you were talking about there. And like, you know, I, I had no idea that you should be prepared for these kind of things and the in these kind of situations. And like, what kind of attitude to go into? Like, like for example, I I I got really stressed out before info sessions because I thought, you know, info sessions were where the game, you know, is is played. I I thought that was the place to like really make your mark and like. You know, these people would be like, oh, you know, this guy at the info session was like pretty impressive and, and they would give me a job offer or whatever. That was like sort of the mental conception that I had. And then yeah. you know, I watched one of your videos and you're like, oh, when you go into info session, you just kind of have to like, you know, like your purpose is not to impress. And I was like, oh, like I had no idea. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's sort of like a quick example of, of how I was, you know, and, and this is not the only one, obviously. There were many times where I was like, you know, I, I really didn't know that. And so that really surprised me in a good way and um you know really helped me a lot i guess just gave me the right kind of guidance yeah that's a that's um, a really interesting example that you picked because um now people are probably curious like what do you mean your purpose is not to impress at the info sessions <laughs> yeah i know right <laughs> and, and we'll, we'll leave a cliffhanger there and we'll tell everyone uh if you want to find out what that's about, you're going to have to come into the program. But no, I think right. the reason why that's an interesting point, though, is that um, we hear this argument a lot about how, oh, everything, uh, everything you, this guy is probably teaching you in Wall Street Mastermind is already stuff that you're already, you probably already know or stuff that uh, you can probably already find online, you know, just by doing a quick Google search. In reality, I mean, like, what, what is your opinion about that statement, I guess, having seen what's in the program and what you've been able to learn from it. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely a false uh, way of thinking about it. Uh, again, like many times that I was surprised and, you know, these things are, I think it gets a lot more subtler uh, when you think about not just the kind of exact prescriptions of what, what, what the best thing to do is in a given situation, but going further than that, it's, there's kind of a mentality that comes with, you know, what kind of people are what kind of people that banking likes, you know, simply put, like, you know, what kind of candidates do these people like to see? And I think you sort of indirectly learn that, you know, these people love people who have a, you know, a, a can-do attitude, you know, defeat people who are hard workers. And like in the process, you get to learn that, 
you know, you also have to, you, you kind of have to be that kind of person who has this kind of attitude to be successful. And, and yeah, I think that's definitely something that, you know, you can never learn that online. Like, you know, no one on Wall Street always is going to tell you that, tell you all this in a single post. Right. Right. And also, I mean, look, I think some of this stuff, even when people tell you like, yeah, everybody knows that uh, investment bankers like, you know, candidates who are hardworking, for example, I'll just pick an easy example. Like, yeah, they, they want people with good work, good work ethic, right? It's like, yeah, of course. But then like everyone is trying to present themselves in a way that um, demonstrates that they're hardworking, right? Or more hardworking than the next person, right? And so <laughs> the key is not to just know what it is that they want to hear, although that is a big part of it. And a lot of people don't even do that. But the harder part is once you know, even if you know what the bankers are looking for, like how do you know if the way that you're presenting yourself or the way you're trying to demonstrate that quality is better than how your competition is doing it because they're trying to do the exact same things, right? Exactly, exactly. And when it comes to like the behavioral interview, I feel like 99% of the time people are just so focused on, uh, it's kind of like what you said earlier, like when you were preparing for interviews, you have constructed your own set of answers and you thought they were fine. But if you don't have anyone to tell you like what else could be better about it, or if you don't have anyone to tell you, hey, like, here's how your answers stack up against other people's answers, then most people don't even think about how they, where they are in relation to other people. They're just so focused on what they're doing on their own. And like nine out of 10 times, that's not going to be good enough because that's just like, statistically speaking, that's just, you know, how hard it is to get into banking. Right. Um, Right. Can work sometimes, but yeah, probably not. Right. Exactly. Just what were you going to say though? I didn't want to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. Just to quickly add to that. I think the difference really is in the details. And you know, of course, investment bankers are notorious for their attention to detail. And I think it's no different in the recruiting process. Like if you, you really need, like in terms of delivering this kind of, uh, just, just, just delivering who you are to these kind of people, the, all the difference is made in the small details. And, and I think that's really the, the kind of things that, you know, I really gained out of this. Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you got, you said at least 60 to 70% of what you gained was just from, you know, like all of our video trainings and stuff like that. Um, so people are probably thinking like, okay, so this is just like another video course, right? Which obviously there are a lot of those out there, right? Whether it's Wall Street Oasis or Breaking the Wall Street or, you know, you name, I'm sure there are a bunch of others. Um, Udemy, YouTube, even like um, what, what else what else do we do in this program or like is this just a video course or what's the difference yeah 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 sure so you know definitely don't want to downplay the importance of the non-video aspect of it which is why i said like you know 60 to 70 percent but um basically everything else i think came from the fact that you know you are constantly online basically you know very accessible for questions and uh, i just think it's you, know, you being accessible to me to answer questions directly you someone who's obviously you know been in investment banking have gone through uh you know the recruiting process yourself and also have been on the other side and you know i think that's also you know extremely important so you know that's that alone is like the tremendous thing but on top of that you also have this kind of 
you know, almost a community of people who are also taking, uh, you know, are also enrolled in a Wall Street mastermind and, and they're all discussing different kinds of situations and you know what's going on. So this kind of constant feedback loop where you can post a question or you can, you know, see all these updates about the recruiting process and get advice or, you know, just, just know what's going on on a timely manner. I think that that's, you know, that, that's, a, that's definitely a game changer as well. So yeah. that, and, and also I'll, I'll add, um, you know, the mock interview, I did one mock interview with, uh, uh, you know, you guys, and, you know, that was also tremendously helpful as well. And I can go more into that as well. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, we definitely, we can talk about that in a second, but I mean, you make some good points. So basically what people can, what people should imagine is just like you said, it's like, hey, if someone, if a banker offered, because going back to our point earlier, you want someone who's qualified, but you also want someone who's going to be uh, invested enough to spend the time with you to actually help you to the degree that you need help with. And so if there was a banker out there who, you know, offered to basically be on call 24-7 anytime you need it, you can just bother them and they'll drop everything they're doing and put set their work aside and uh, help you out with the recruiting, then that's basically what this is, right? Except obviously, exactly, yeah. obviously I'm not in banking anymore. And so it's not like you're a side hustle and I have to drop all my, I have to drop my, uh, uh, my investment banking projects just to help you out. Like I'm full-time helping out both you and the other people that are in the program. And that's the beauty of, of this setup right and then the other thing yeah. you mentioned that i think is a great point is is the community which i mean even back even back when you joined i would say the community wasn't nearly as big as as it is now like i said um you know since you joined we probably uh year over year we've more than doubled in terms of size and so the network really today great, yeah. is is much 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 stronger than what it was before and you made a great point about hey you can constantly ask questions and other people in the community not only will chime in, but I think the other part that I personally wish I had when I was recruiting is um, just somewhere where you get to see all the questions that other people are asking because other people right. sometimes ask questions that you don't even think of, but because they asked it and you are in you know, our Slack channels or you're in our Facebook group or you're on our office hours or whatever, uh, they're pointing out things that maybe would have been in your blind spot otherwise, and you would have never thought about, uh, but now all of a sudden you're thinking about it. Right. Um, and so that just makes you a lot more prepared because you, you're, you're covering all your bases, um, even stuff that you wouldn't have thought of previously. Um, yeah, definitely. It makes a lot of sense. And that's exactly how it went, went down. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned the last one you mentioned was like the mock interview. So, I mean, mock interviews are pretty self-explanatory, right? <laughs> like you, mm -hmm. you, you, you do a mock interview and a lot of people typically what, when they do mock interviews, and you probably did this too, like I'm sure you did mock interviews with your friends or maybe even with upperclassmen at school. Uh, I don't know if you did or not, but a lot of people would do that, right? And so yeah. what what's the difference? Like why not just do mocks with your friends, you know? like Yeah, exactly. And it, it kind of go back, goes back to what you're saying about, you know, who you want to be mock interviewing you, who, who you want to be mentoring you. And you obviously want someone who's like super qualified, who would ask you the kind of questions that I would actually be asked in a real interview. You know, the kind of person who would give me the, the right kind of feedback on in terms of what I should be changing 
going forward, you know, what I did well, what I did it wrong. Um, you know, I did it with Adele and, you know, he was a former uh, TMT investment maker, I think at Goldman and worked at this really cool company called SumZero. And yeah, it, it's obviously, it, it's, he gave me a lot of good constructive criticism. I was uh, about to do a super day with Bank of America, which I think is why I did it. And yeah, uh, it, it was, it was a lot of help. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think the biggest difference is just the, anybody can, cause a lot of times when people are doing most of their friends, like maybe, you know, they'll grab an interview guide and then the friend's job is to just read the question out to them and they try to answer it. And then the friend will like check to see if their answers are similar to what's in the guides, right? Like yeah. that's the way to do a mock interview, but there's just not a whole lot of depth to that, right? Because you could, you could do that on your own. You can cover up the answers in the guides and try to see if you can answer the questions, right? Really yeah, for sure. the value in doing mock interviews is in the quality of the feedback that you're actually getting, right? And the quality of the feedback is going to be directly correlated to how much experience does your interviewer have both going through interviews, but more importantly, interviewing other candidates, right? Because if you're, if your interviewer is someone that maybe just went through the process once themselves, um, their feedback is most likely going to be based on their own set of experiences, like what worked for them, right? They're maybe benchmarking your answers against their own answers, and maybe your answers are, you know, to them sound pretty good. And they'll say a lot of times what our clients will find when they do mocks with their peers is like, yeah, they didn't, I, I didn't really get that much feedback. I thought I did pretty well. Right. Uh, and then they'll come and do a mock with us. And then we're just kind of like tearing their answers up and giving them all this constructive criticism. Like, Hey, here, you can change this here. You could change that here. You said it this way, but this is what I would do differently. And also like the, the, the difference though, is because, we have a lot more, um, we have a point of reference, right? In terms of all the other clients that we've interviewed before. And also back when we were in banking, we were in private equity, the candidates we interviewed when we were on the recruiting panel, that's all kind of like institutional knowledge that we have that going back to my point earlier, it's not just about how good your answers are or how good you think your answers are. We're comparing your answers against all the other answers that we've seen. And then we're basing our feedback on that. Right. And so, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And that's probably the only effective way to really up your game when it comes to getting ready for interviews. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think, um, you know, and all of these things may seem like on, on its own may seem like, Hey, it's not a huge deal, but when you stack all these different things that we talked about so far on top of each other, it's like everything adds up. Right. And in banking, when there's so few, jobs available relative to the number of applicants, um, the margin for error is razor thin, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure like we can talk about it in a second, but just in terms of like, you have to go through multiple interviews with multiple firms, you know, to end up with the offer that you ultimately ended up with. But before that, I'm sure there were multiple like close calls where you were like, man, if I was just a little bit better, that would have gone from no offer to an offer probably, right? And, and Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And that makes all the difference at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. right? um, and so I guess that's a good segue into kind of like the recruiting process because I don't want people to get the, the wrong idea and think that like, 
oh, so, you know, uh, everything's easy peasy. And, you know, as long as you uh, join Wall Street Mastermind, then, you know, you're going to get every single offer you interview for. Obviously, it doesn't work that way. Right. And so, of course, not. Yeah. a lot of, I mean, some of our clients, for some of our clients, yeah, it, it is kind of like that. But for a lot of our clients, too, you know, there's going to be rejections along the way before they get their offer. And so, can you kind of talk about that entire process? Because, like, I mean, how many months was, was the entire re- recruiting process for you in the end? And, like, how many applications and interviews and, like, how tough was it until you actually got your ultimate, ultimately the offer that you got? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, not to scare who, whoever is potentially listening to this, but um, I, I guess my, yeah, yeah, no, I'll just say it as it is. And the, the truth is like, I, I guess, I, I think I was on the more, you know, lengthier side in terms of how long I've recruited and like, you know, how, what, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, how many firms I had to apply to things like that. I was definitely on the longer end and the timing that I got the offer is like at the very end, almost at the cycle around mm-hmm. October. So yeah, just to give you, it's actually interesting. Last night I was sort of combing through my emails to, to uh, you know, organize my contacts so that I can like, you know, wish some of the people that I network with like a happy new year and like just touch base with them. And I, and I, I was counting how many people I actually, uh, you know, called or met with. And it, it, it amounted, it, it amounted to like 150 bankers. Yeah. So I guess, it, you know, it's not like, you know, it, it's, I've seen people who've talked a lot more, but it's yeah. like a good sort of number metric of like what, what the one person did, what I did. But anyways, uh, yeah, I started around sophomore winter. So it's about a year from now, we're speaking in January, 2021. So yeah, I, I started around, you know, early uh, January, late December, 2019-2020, uh, started calling people, started emailing people for calls, you know, did this whole thing where you go on LinkedIn and uh, try to find who to talk to and then, you know, reaching out to them, all this process, all, all these things, by the way, learned uh, from Wall Street Mastermind on, in terms of like how to go about it. Right. So uh, I did it and first interviews started rolling in around... Um, March. And when I say rolling in, it makes me sound like you know, there were a lot of interviews. There weren't a ton, but uh, I, I did one with a, uh, with a, okay, am I, am I like allowed to say firm names or is yeah. that like, yeah, if, yeah, uh, if you want. yeah. So I did one with um, Lazard and then later during the summer, I had some first rounds with, uh, you know, Goldman and then, uh, and then I went all the way up to a uh, super day with Bank of America. And, you know, it didn't, didn't really turn out that well, unfortunately, for all these processes. And then around, I think around uh, early, uh, late, late September, I, I actually got a, a, a call from Morgan Stanley in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And they were willing to, you know, let me do a super day. You know, I was pretty happy about it. Did the super day and, uh, you know, I was very lucky. I actually ended up getting the offer. And around that time, I also was, I started interviewing for uh, Evercore. So the, the strategic M&A group, which is like their main investment banking group, they wrapped up their press process around March, April. Yeah. But um, I was very specifically interested in 
you know, this is like a subgroup within the investment banking group there, but it's a, it's a group that does shareholder activism defense. Mm -hmm. And like, I can talk more about that later, but it's basically, you know, if companies come under attack by these activists, they advise these companies in terms of how to defend uh, themselves against these, uh, against these funds. Yep. So uh, it was a, it was something that I was, uh, been, that I've been interested in for a long time and, you know, wanted to work there. It sounded like a really cool place to be. Uh, and yeah, they extended me, they were one of those direct hire groups. So they were, you know, they were directly hiring, uh, that, that group was directly hiring uh, on top of the uh, strategic M&A recruiting process. Yeah. So yeah, I, I super day with them around October and they were, you know, they uh, extended offer to me. So yeah, that's kind of how it turned out. So it was, uh, sounds like starting in December of 2019 up until October of 2020. So it's about like a 10 month long process you went through multiple interviews with a lot of the top banks you talked about lazard and goldman and b of a and uh you even got an offer in hong kong from morgan stanley um but it's not like most candidates out there no matter how prepared you are it's just so competitive like you're still going to get rejections right like we've had we've had clients that have gotten zero rejections was very very rare they're like the exceptions rather than the norm right and so i don't want people to get the wrong idea that think like oh like you know sam's just totally full of it and making it sound like everything's easy as long as you join wall street mastermind like no i always tell people even if you join wall street mastermind it's not going to be easy you know we're just making things simpler for you we're removing all the trial and error but you're still going to have to work your butt off like i mean uh, do, do you feel like do you feel like any part of this was easy or do you still feel like you have to work extremely hard it's just that without this maybe you would have worked just as hard without having gotten the results <laughs> yeah exactly i i i think this was one of the you know I, I come from a pretty pretty comfortable background i guess you know like my parents weren't like super poor or anything but i think it was one of the hardest things that i've ever done so yeah uh, i think yeah, i think it, 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 yeah I think that's the case for most people uh, when they go through banking recruiting. Right? I mean, I agree. Like, there's going to be exceptions for people that have very, very tough upbringings. But assuming you had a relatively normal upbringing, um, banking recruiting is probably one of the most competitive processes that you're going to go through. You know, in the first twenty, exactly, yeah, right. Um, yep. So ultimately, sounds like you got an offer from Morgan Stanley in Hong Kong. And then you got this offer from Evercore and shareholders activism. And by the way, that's a very interesting group. That's like, uh, for those people that, uh, who don't really know what activist uh, investors are, it's kind of like the Carl Icons and um, uh, who, who are some other ones? There are a lot of famous ones. Dan Loeb, um, Bill yep. Ackman. Yep, Bill Ackman with Herbalife, right? Dan Loeb. Mm-hmm. Um, so those guys, these hedge fund managers that try to take over a company um, and get them to do things that they probably wouldn't have done otherwise to try to increase the shareholder value, right? And so you guys help these companies defend against those um, really, really well-known investors. So that's a very interesting group. But those are obviously two very, very different options. Morgan Stanley, Hong Kong, Evercore shareholders activism in New York, I assume. And so how did you choose between those two or like what was it an easy decision or was it a tough decision? Like what factored into your decision to ultimately take the Evercore offer? Yeah, I think 
it was uh, an ex it, you know i'm glad you brought it up it, it was an extremely difficult uh decision because you know i had great conversations with morgan stanley people as much as i did with the evercore people and you know there's a lot of variables here right first of all there's the difference in location you know obviously new york is probably the better place to if you just look at location it's probably the better place to start your career than uh hong kong you know it's just a you know, larger place, you know, this, it's the center of finance. Uh, but also there's the fact that the offer for Morgan Stanley was a regular sort of investment banking offer. Um, it's, it was, it's, it's definitely, therefore it's, it's definitely a lot more generalist and you get, you know, a lot of different exposure to different industries and different you know, products. I think the, shareholder activism group is it's it's highly specialized it is something that i really want to do but at the same time you know you're, you're always kind of worried about pigeonholing yourself in a specific place mm. uh you, you do want to think about you know where you want to be after if you you know don't end up loving the place right. so yeah it was an extremely difficult decision but at, i think at the end of the day it was really two things first uh i, I really did want to work in new york i think um you know, coming from Asia, I guess, uh, working, starting my career in New York and really getting that exposure to a larger, uh, you know, world of the, you know, a, a more sophisticated capital markets. I think it's something that I really just want to experience. Mm -hmm. And also the people that I spoke with Evercore were just really, they're really dedicated to me. Uh, I, I could already tell that they really wanted me to succeed. Uh, and, you know, some of these people that I network with, they've, they gave me the kind of support that I couldn't get anywhere else. I think that was something that really, uh, I felt very touched. And I think, you know, ultimately that those two things were the reasons why I signed with them. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Um, there are, there's, as you were saying that there were two thoughts that just came to my mind that I really want to kind of hear your thoughts on. So one is, cause we get this question a lot, right? They say, have you guys helped? people that have recruited for uh, investment making in Asia before, you know, primarily Hong Kong, obviously, right? And obviously most of our clients are here uh, in the US because that's where our company's based and that's just like the biggest market for us and that's what we've been focused on. But what what is the difference for someone like you who's gone through both recruiting in the US and in Hong Kong, what, what is the difference between the processes on the two sides um, from, from your perspective? Yeah, so I, first of all, um, you know, the first big difference is the difference in uh, uh, timing. So U.S. recruiting process kicks off much earlier. So it, for me, it was almost like, you know, the process in the U.S. was starting to, it didn't, it didn't seem like it was going very well. And I thought, okay, you know, I should try out Hong Kong. Uh, and dur during the interviews, I was surprised that they, they, there were some pretty harsh uh, technical questions. And then uh, there were also pretty harsh uh, stress tests, the kind of ones that you really wouldn't see in, a, in an American as sort of a US investment banking process. Like for example, this guy grilled me on why I wanted to do investment banking for you know, a full 30 minutes and yeah, and I and I gave him the standard answer. And he was like, "Well, I don't, I don't buy it." And I just had to, and I was sweating, and it was it was terrible. But yeah, eventually he gave me the offer. So okay, interesting. So you, from a process standpoint, it sounds like 
once you get the interview, it's still just the first round of Super Day, right? Or, or do they call it assessment centers there? I'm not sure. But but it's first round of Super Day. I think they call it a Super Day. Yeah, so first round of Super Day. And format-wise, it's still the same thing. It's still just 30-minute interviews, right? Except for Super Day, you're doing multiple 30-minute interviews back to back to back to back, right? Right, and that's correct. You still need to do – you're still going to have a mix of – behavioral interviews and technical interviews just like you would in the states right yeah Um, that in case people are wondering the technical concepts that you need to be familiar with are still the same ones it's still accounting it's still valuation it's still m&a it's still lbos right there's no like new topics that are only relevant for asia that are not relevant here in the states right right yeah none of that really changes but it sounds like you're saying culturally though Maybe the, the, the bankers there are uh, a bit more of a, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, um, hard-ass. Maybe a bit more old school. Yeah, yeah. More old school, like they haze you a little bit and they really try to like see if they can phase you during the process and see, see if you kind of break down a little bit. If you do, obviously you get eliminated, right? Right, yeah. Got it. I think that was really important. And, and But other than that, really, uh, yeah, I didn't feel a big difference. So these, these guys are people who, been educated in the u.s like my first my first round interviewer went to i think he went to penn or something and and like yeah so these are all people who studied in the u.s they they speak english super well they're just you know either chinese or korean or uh, some other mostly uh you know they mostly come from asia so that's i guess the only difference yeah and so like on the technical side of things um did you feel like the training that you had equipped you to answer even some of the tougher questions that they had. Like even like you mentioned the stress test questions. Like, do you, do you have an example of like what, what that was? Like what kind of stress stress test did they give you on the technical side? Uh, sure. I think the, uh, so I'll just, I, I remember these because it was kind of, it was very surprising to me. So I'll just put it out there and maybe the listeners, you guys can, uh, you know, try to figure it out on your own, or maybe ask it to someone else to figure out the answers. But uh, one question that really stumped me was, you know, can you replace if so? There's unlevered free cash flow, right? And then there's net income. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the only difference, the big difference there is that you know net income is after deducting interest, right? Mm-hmm. So if we adjust net income for interest, we like add back interest, and can you just use that? In a DCF instead of a free cash instead of the free cash flow metric, and and then he kind of went into the weeds with that and he was like, well, what what happens if you if you like pull it out ten years, twenty years, would there still be a big difference? Uh, you know, short end. The the answer to that to that is no. But um, yeah, it's 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 a it was a pretty interesting thought exercise. And and also he asked me a bunch of math questions. He was like, what's eighty eight times uh, yeah, forty eight? Okay, so kind of almost more like brain teaser type questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, got it. Um, I mean, so that brings up an interesting point, right? Because, and look, by the way, the reason why I'm asking you all these questions about the differences between the two um, processes is that what I always tell people when they ask us, like, well, can you help me if I'm recruiting in Asia? Is that, I mean, yes, we can still help you because I don't, really think that the knowledge that you need or the things that you need to do to prepare is really that any, any different, whether you're recruiting for the U S or the Hong or, or, or for Hong Kong, right? Like 
if anything, it sounds like, you know, with the Hong Kong interviews, if all you're doing is picking up an interview guide and memorizing the answers to 400 questions, and then like hoping that you'll be able to just regurgitate that in the interview, it's probably not going to work, right? Because these guys are, yeah. these guys are going deep and they're asking you like second level, third level, fourth level of questions. And they're, it's follow up on follow up on follow up on follow up. They're not just asking you the surface level questions. That's like, you know, the, the first degree. Right. And so if all you did was memorize like, Oh, this is how $10 of depreciation flows to the three statements. Like, right. It probably not, you're not going to get very far. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And, and these guys, um, like that question alone, I never saw it in an interview guide ever. And yeah, so just kind of shows you what kind of questions these guys are asking. You really right. need to understand it conceptually. Yeah, it, it's, it's what I call application knowledge, which is kind of the way we try to teach in Wall Street Management is like, I mean, you can attest to this. We don't make you guys memorize any guides or memorize any questions. Like we try to teach you everything conceptually so that you can think about it and be able to apply it on your own to different situations, which in this case is basically exactly what you had to do, right? Exactly, uh, yep. And so that's, but that, that's great insight. Um, and so I uh, think- Also, Sam, uh, just real quick, I think one thing that I forgot to add, just you know, re-Hong Kong and that process. One thing that is kind of a requirement for some demographics is, um, you know, a lang language capability. So I, Hong Kong covers Korea and, you know, I obviously, you know, speak Korean and they actually tested for that too. So yeah. um, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's a requirement for everybody, but um, it is something to note if you are interested in Hong Kong. So yeah, I'll just put it out there. I was going to ask you about that too, because what I've heard is that um, nowadays it's very tough to recruit for Hong Kong unless you speak Mandarin. Uh, but I guess outside of China, they also cover Korea. Um, Japan has their own office, I think, but, do they just cover uh, China and Korea and that's it? Or are there other markets out of the office as well? Do you know? Uh, from what I know, Hong Kong covers uh, you know, mainly China, but also, you know, Korea and also uh, Southeast Asia. So like Indonesia, Vietnam, they, you know, pretty rapidly growing capital markets, obviously big need for capital there too. So, you know, that business is definitely, you know, not insignificant, but for the most part, you know, if you're interested in, in Hong Kong, then you're most likely going to be a Mandarin speaker. Right, right. And unless, like, for you, obviously, if you went there, you're going to be on the Korean coverage team, I assume. Like, and so, yeah, yeah. And, and are you? Oh, obviously, you came in middle school, so your your Korean is like pretty fluent, basically. So it's not an issue. Yeah, um, yeah. And when I was doing the first round interview, right, it was a Morgan Stanley did a video interview for the first round, and and uh, they one one of the questions they were like. You know, this is our question, but you have to answer it in in an Asian language. So, like, I have to do that. So Got that's it. kind of how you how they test your word. Got it. No, that's great. That's that's great. That's that's good to know. So, um, but it sounds like, look, for for those of you that are considering Asia, I agree. The biggest difference is not so much like what you need to know; it's more around uh, the timing of the processes. Like, U.S. goes first. U.S. is the earliest. So. A lot of people, like what they'll do is the U.S. is their first choice anyway, so they'll recruit for the U.S. and they can fall back on Asia if the U.S. doesn't work out. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is just know that there are going to be some cultural differences where uh, even though the concepts that they're testing you on is the same, 
they're going to haze you a little bit more uh, in some of these processes just to kind of like stress test you. So you got to be able to uh, withstand the pressure, right? Um, and yeah, last, 100%. Last thing is knowing the language, basically. If you don't know the language nowadays, like you're probably not going to have a shot at recruiting for an office like Hong Kong. So um, that's all super insightful stuff. The last thing I wanted to touch on with you, because I know um, I don't want to keep you for too long. We're already, you've already been super generous with your time, but recruiting as an international student, can we just talk about that for a second real quick? Because coming back to the fact that, yeah, sure. Most people, they want to work in the U S but also it's tougher to work in the U S as an international student, because you need sponsorship. Right. And so, right. Any advice for like other international students who are, you know, navigating through the recruiting process? Because, you know, the most common question we get from international students is probably like, you know, how do I know which bank actually sponsors or not? Right. Or like, uh, obviously for you guys, you know, you have a smaller subset of banks to choose from because the banks that won't sponsor, there's nothing you can really do there. Right. So, um, but I think also, the banks that sponsor changes year from year to year, right? Like for example, right. JP Morgan didn't sponsor this year, I believe, but then like last year for the class above you, they did sponsor. And so like, how did you navigate through that process? And how did you, I mean, how much harder did it make things for you, I guess? Yeah. yeah. And obviously it was super difficult, I guess, you know, for people who are listening later on, you know, just for some context, the backdrop for my recruiting cycle was that, you know, Donald Trump was president and he was really pushing for sort of, you know, anti uh, work visa policies. And like, there was this whole thing going on against him and like the courts, the courts were trying to like, you know, pull this and he was trying to get rid of it. So I think, you know, this is kind of speculation on my end, but I think the employers were really scared about, hiring international students because of this, you know, this sudden risk. Now it's no longer, hopefully no longer an issue because Biden is president. But the backdrop was that that plus the whole COVID situation kind of uh, adding on top of the economic troubles in the U.S. I think that was a really big reason why when I looked around, I, you know, when I looked around my friends who were also, you know, F1 visa international students, they, they didn't they weren't successful in, in recruiting. And it, you know, and, and I knew that they were, these guys were people who, you know, they, they knew their stuff. They were, these were smart people. They, they probably, um, you know, maybe they, they were lacking in some way, but it's not, it, it wasn't fair to compare them directly with, you know, other US uh, citizen candidates. So yeah. I guess it's just very unfortunate that it's, a, it's something that we have to go through. I, I, I would really have mainly two advice and the first one is that at the end of the day it's it's unfortunate but you can't really do anything about it so you really have to rely on everything you can and just try to be the best candidate that you are because that's the only way that you're going to get hired mm. right and obviously you know resources like wall street mastermind uh, you know it was pretty phenomenal as i as i mentioned many times but you really have to try to up your game as best you can mm-hmm. and you just have to work harder than others so like it's 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 tough but that's just how the world is and you just have to be because otherwise these employers they're not going to be uh hiring you if there's you know you are you as a candidate you're proposing a risk to these employers you can because of no other reason than the u.s law you can uh suddenly not be employable so 
right. that's the risk that they're willing to take. Uh, and the, the, you, know, you just have to be a better candidate for that. Yeah. And second advice would, from, from coming from me at least, would be to, you know, explore other options because, uh, like, you, even if you are a phenomenal candidate, you know, it, a lot of this process is unfortunately driven by luck. And if you are unlucky, then you know, you really don't want to. I think for me personally, having an offer from Hong Kong was, uh, it, it, I felt very fortunate, and it, it did give me a lot of confidence because. You know, Hong Kong is still a pretty phenomenal place to work in, uh, in, in finance. And, you know, it's, it's still a great place to start your career. And, you know, I was pretty happy about it. You know, Morgan Stanley is a great place. So, yeah, I think, but I, I knew, I knew this other guy who was also Korean, who was in the same situation as I was, he refused to look at, um, Asian companies. Mm. Uh, you know, he looked at, he refused to look at uh, positions in Asia and, you know, he, because he was pretty adamant on working in the U S and I thought that was, uh, I personally thought that, you know, he could have had a more open mind. And I urge people, international students that, hey, if you if you don't get a job in, the, in New York or in the U.S. and if you end up going to Hong Kong or even go or even back to Korea, I don't think it's the end of the world. So yeah. th- those would be yeah, two of my advice. That's great advice, man. Um, it's, uh, it's very wise advice, I would say. Um, and Thanks. Not, I, I feel like not all college students. I, I feel like, look. Uh, college students a lot of times can get so caught up in um i don't know just like ab- like absolutes i guess is the best way to put it right right um, we, we've been conditioned to think like oh, there's just a lot of people online like you know especially in forums or wall street oasis or reddit or wherever you get your information from where they would have you think that Oh, you know, if you don't go to an Ivy League school or uh, if you don't have a 4.0 GPA, then uh, you can forget about banking. Or like if you don't work in New York or if you don't work at Goldman or MS or JP, then, you know, you're not like it's basically worthless. Right. Like, oh, God forbid you end up at a bank like uh, Deutsche Bank or whatever (laughs) bank is being picked on at the moment. But. Um, in reality, those are honestly great places to work at. And a lot of people would give up a lot to, to be in a position to be able to work at those places. Right. And yeah, I mean, you, you worked at, um, Deutsche Bank too, right. And, and you can probably say a lot about this, but I talked to some phenomenal people from Deutsche Bank. Yeah. So it's, 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 a, it's a shame that it's getting made fun of. And, well, and, and, and that's not why I picked Deutsche Bank. And, and look, I, I get it. Like Deutsche Bank is not doing as well now as it was back in, you know, OA even when I went there, but even when I worked at Deutsche Bank OA, it's not like it was, it wasn't on like Goldman or MS or, you know, these other banks level. I'm not denying that some firms are better than others. I'm not denying that, you know, maybe you have a preference for one geography over the other, but I think all I'm saying and all you're saying is that we need to keep things in perspective, right? Like when you really look look at the big picture, if you are one of the few people who ended up in investment banking, working at one of these top 10, top 20, even top 30, top 50 banks. Like even like the other thing that people crap on is like, oh, well, if you work at a middle market bank, then, you know, you're a loser or whatever, right? It's like, no, I mean, these middle market banks, like any of these banks are in the top 50, the acceptance rate is still maybe like, I don't know, 3%, you know, like Jeffrey hired 3% of their applicant pool. It's like, it's hard. It's hard to get those jobs, you know? And, 
and and you're still going to be starting out with a salary that's two and a half to three times higher than the average college grad, you know, and there, there's nothing, Definitely. there's nothing bad about that. Right. And so no. I think you're giving some, you're, you gave some great advice there, which is just, don't be so narrow minded. It's like at the end of the day, control what's in your control. Like we don't control immigration policy, right. But we do control what we can do to give ourselves the best chance possible. Um, and then also like just being more open-minded and casting a wider net um and of course at the end of the day you might still get what you want like you still ended up getting into investment banking at evercore one of the best elite boutiques in new york city but you know like you said a lot of that is your hard work and a part of that is luck and we're glad it worked out but you just can't you just can't bank on there's no guarantee that something like that's going to happen right? yeah definitely and um, it's it's very tough that I think it's very difficult to deal with uncertainties and, you know, you, you, if you talk with like, I, I, one, one quick story, I guess I talked with, there's this one firm I spoke with like over, you know, 10, 12 people there. And I thought, Hey, like, I'm obviously going to get a first round interview here. <laughs> and I didn't. So it's just, um, and those conversations were great too. So like, you can't really rely on anything during this process and you just have to accept that part of it it's it's really just a numbers game and a lot of it is luck and a lot of it is just like happenstance like this guy that you talk to who's an md happens to like you because he had a great day and that's why he's pushing you like there's just so many different variables where you just have to control what you can i think that's that's a great point that you brought up yeah and i think not without without like we don't, at the same time, I don't want to give people the idea like, well, you know, if there's so much luck involved, then there's no point. Like, I'll, I'll just see. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I don't, I don't want to give off that. It's like the margin. Our point is the margin for error is so small. Like, sometimes you can do everything right and it still might not work out. You could talk to 10 or 12 people. You could feel like you had all these great conversations. You still might not get an interview, right? Or you go through the entire interview process and you feel like you crushed it. You answer all the behaviors, you nail all the technicals. But there were just there was just someone else better than you, right? We've even had other international student clients. This is kind of absurd. It should never happen. But we've had other international student clients go through the entire process. They get the offer verbally, and then mm -hmm. HR comes back and says, "Oh, sorry, we didn't realize you need a sponsorship. So actually, we can't give you the offer." Like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's actually a great segue to talk a little bit about um, sponsorship. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I, you asked this earlier and I, I realized I didn't answer it. So basically, um, I, I think the best thing you could do is just stay on top of which firms sponsor, which firms don't, they change every year. And, you know, I think for me, you know, Wall Street Mastermind was again, a really good uh, platform for me to get constant updates on which firms sponsor and which firms don't. And like, you can call all these HR, you know, people yourself to figure it out, but they're not going to be always know respondent right they're not always going to be like this random college kid asking you if their firm sponsors or not they're not going to answer all the time so you generally get a quick sense of what kind of firms are sponsoring that year and you really don't want to as you said it, it happens all the time and i know another guy who went through that kind of you know that happened to him too he got the offer and then they were like oh i'm sorry we don't sponsor so uh you don't you want to pick and choose early on as an international student. You want to apply, you, you want to put in much of the effort into these places that you know would sponsor. So 
yeah. yeah, I think that's that's also something that's really important. Yeah, so just so I'm clear on what you're saying, though, the way you went about figuring out which firm sponsor early on is you reached out to the HR people at these firms directly and just asked them. Is that what you did? So um, what I'm saying is that, you know, you can, I, I certainly did that with a lot of firms, but unfortunately, a lot of these firms wouldn't respond to you or be clear about this. Like, yeah. You know, they, they will they, they will be, you know, pretty late in responding, which eats, eats up a lot of your valuable time. So the value of having a community like Wall Street Mastermind or even like some of your friends who are internationals, they all are on top of it and they will like give you information like, hey, like JP Morgan's not sponsoring this year. It's like, oh, that sucks. Like, and, and you know, so. Got it. Okay. So you're talking about the power of the community, like being, in, 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 being around other people who are going through the same challenges as you and it's a collective effort because our, our clients obviously it's a very collaborative it's not this cutthroat environment where people kind of hoard all the information themselves in fact we have a culture where everybody's always helping each other out and so you're not trying to figure this out on your own but other people are also sharing intel with you and saying hey i spoke to this bank they said i don't sponsor i spoke to this bank and they say they do sponsor and this and that and that's also going to help you allocate your time better and be more targeted with your efforts because you can't network with everybody and you don't want to waste time networking with firms that you have no shot with from the get-go anyway exactly exactly yeah and i didn't spend much time with firms that i knew wouldn't sponsor um uh, you know some people say like hey that's not the best approach because if you are truly even if they say they don't sponsor if you're a truly exceptional candidate um they'll take you uh, I, I guess I didn't really want to take that risk because I knew, as you said earlier, I knew a lot of people who got the offer and then, you know, it got rescinded just for visa issues. So yeah, that's just uh, my personal choice. Um, other right. people have different opinions on that. And, and I think, and I think, yeah, to each your, to, to, to each their own, right? But I think, you know, the way you went about it is smart, right? You're just being more targeted with your approach and where you want to place your best. Because at the end of the day, you know, we all have 24 hours in a day. Right. And there's only so many people you can reach out to for networking on top of doing all your schoolwork and keeping up your grades and doing part time internships and joining clubs on campus and prepping for interviews. And there's just a lot of stuff that you guys are, are having are being asked to do as college students right. who are trying to break into investment banking. So it's not you have a limited amount of time to talk to a limited number of people. And so you always want to maximize the probability of you know, what, uh, whatever effort you're investing in and whatever time you're investing in, you want to maximize the probability of that paying off, right? Exactly, so exactly. You're just making educated bets or, or, you know, making smart bets on what's most likely to come through. And obviously in the end it worked out for you. So can't argue with the results, right? So um, cool. I think we covered so much art. Like I think honestly, I, I've done a ton of these interviews at this point. I don't even know how many I've lost count, but dozens and dozens of these interviews. And I, I genuinely think this is one of the most uh, value-packed uh, interviews that we've done in terms of just how much useful information is in here, especially for people who uh, maybe are international students or for people who um, want to recruit in Asia. So, you know, for those of you that are listening, hopefully you guys found this to be helpful. Um, look, I think just to kind of wrap things up a bit, because again, we're going really, really long here. Um, for those of you that maybe are in a similar situation as Brian, you know, you're an international student, which means you're a bit 
handicapped from a recruiting standpoint, right? Like you, it's kind of like fighting with one hand tied behind your back. Uh, you, you can't just be equally good as the U.S. candidates. You actually have to be better than the U.S. candidates for these firms to have a have a, a reason to sponsor you. Like, like like Brian said, like they want you to be exceptional for them to jump through all the hoops with you know sponsoring your visas and whatnot. And so for those of you that are in that situation, if you understand uh, the importance of just controlling the things that are within your control, and you're the type of person who just wants to maximize every single uh, comparative advantage you can have and you want every little edge and you know that you know very small uh even the smallest details you know the the, the smallest nuances could be the difference maker in the end um then i want to encourage you to kind of just reach out to our team here at wall street mastermind um to see if we can help you because we may or may not be able to right like sometimes um international students reach out to us too late in the process and we actually can't help them you know, like if you're reaching, if you're an international student and you're reaching out to us uh, towards the end of the junior summer recruiting process, or when most of the big firms have already finished doing their summer internship recruiting, we're not going to be able to help you because all the firms that uh, sponsor visas are already done hiring, right? But if you're still a freshman or you're still a sophomore and there's still time for you to recruit with these bold packet firms and elite boutique firms um, and you're an international student, then we most likely can help you, right? In fact, um, it's probably critical for you to reach out to us because what we're going to do is we're going to help you get to where you need to be from a preparation standpoint a lot quicker than you'd be able to do on your own. And just based on the, the how, how little time you guys have nowadays from a recruiting standpoint, like efficiency is the name of the game, right? So if that's something that you guys are interested in, I want to invite you to book a call with our team. It's a free strategy session. Um, where we'll just learn more about, uh, you know, what your situation is and what your goals are and what you feel like you need help with. And based on that, um, we'll give you an honest feedback on whether we think we can help and how we can help uh, if that's the case, right? So to do that, just go to www.wallstreetmastermind.com slash apply. Um, the street in our URL is abbreviated to ST. So it's wallstmastermind.com slash apply. And uh, like I said, we'll hop on a free strategy session with you just to assess your uh, situation and at a minimum, just give you some advice on what we think you should do, right? But um, otherwise, you know, hope you, hopefully you guys found this uh, interview to be beneficial. I know I did. I, I even learned some new things that I didn't know before. But um, Brian, thank you so much for uh, taking the, so much time out of your day to talk to us. I think this is one of our longer interviews that we've done. But again, hugely valuable and uh, super happy for you. Best of luck at Evercore. And uh, obviously, you know, I'm sure we'll stay in touch and, you know, we stay in touch with all of our clients and just look forward to seeing all the success that you have ahead of you, man. <clears throat> yeah. Thanks so much, Sam. It's been a real pleasure and I, and I love uh, to help anyone who, who I can. So yeah. Absolutely. You certainly did that. So, um, all right, guys. Well, that'll be it for this episode. Thank you guys for tuning in today. And uh, we'll be back with more of these for you in the near future. All right. Talk soon. Bye.